All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today is our All-22 review where I will be looking back at the impact of the pass rush in the Falcons' Week 13 loss to the New Orleans Saints, as well as answering a listener question that has everything to do with the Falcons' salary cap situation entering 2020. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years. I'm on Twitter at Falcons, and of course, the host of this world-renowned Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. And today is our All Twenty Two Review slash Q and A episode where I will first sort of give you my thoughts on what I saw on film against the New Orleans Saints in the Falcons Thanksgiving night loss to that team in week 13. And then later on in the episode, someone asked me a question about the Falcons salary cap situation heading into 2020. And I'll go into a little bit more detailed analysis about how the Falcons can create cap space to get a lot of things done, including re-signing tight end Austin Hooper. But I do want to start things off by talking about the film from the Saints game. And the first section I want to get into is talking about the pass rush, but we're going to be focusing more on the Saints pass rush as I will sort of give you the overview and my breakdowns of what were the causes of all nine of the Falcons sacks that they allowed to the Saints in that game. And we'll sort of talk a little bit more about the question marks surrounding Matt Ryan's performance in that game and, and if whether or not he was the uh, cause of, of some of those breakdowns. Without further ado, let's get into that as our lead story. So when you look at the nine sacks that the Atlanta Falcons gave up against the New Orleans Saints and breaking each one down, the first sack allowed came by Marcus Davenport in the first snap of the game. The Falcons were looking for a quick throw into the flat on either side. They cut both edge rushers, Marcus Davenport and Cameron Jordan. The windows were there, but for whatever reason, Matt Ryan decided not to pull the trigger. That hesitation led to Davenport being able to recover from Jake Matthews' initial cut block and get the sack. The second sack came on the Falcons' third possession. That was a play where the initial read was a quick screen to Russell Gage in the flat, but Matt Ryan won a little bit more on that play. He wanted to go to Christian Blake down the field on a comeback route. Blake stumbled out of his break on that route, and that forced Matt Ryan to sort of have to hold on to the ball, step up in the pocket, try to scramble. Cameron Jordan was able to come off his block from Ty Sambrello, who's functioning as a blocking tight end, the chip from Devontae Freeman, and sack Matt Ryan from behind. That I think we can blame as a coverage sack, but mostly because of the wide receiver did not run the route that he should have run on that play. The third sack came at the end of the second quarter, and this was a play where the initial read was a quick hitch to Calvin Ridley over the middle. Ryan hesitated a couple of beats on that play because Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, the Saints safety, was sort of in a position to jump it. But the real issue came where Matt Ryan sort of ran into Wes Schweitzer or really Wes Schweitzer ran into Matt Ryan because he was unengaged on that play and sort of backed into Matt Ryan. That forced Matt Ryan to not pull the trigger on the throw, tried to buy himself some time in the pocket. That gave Trey Hendrickson enough time to sort of disengage from Jake Matthews, slip past him and get the sack. We would blame 
quarterback hesitation on this play as well as Schweitzer being out of position. The fourth sack came on the initial possession in the second half, and the Falcons were hoping for a big play on this one. They wanted to fake a screen to Christian Blake in the flat and then hit uh, Calvin Ridley. You saw Matt Ryan pump on this play, pump to the flat to try to get the one-on-one down the field to Calvin Ridley. Unfortunately, Saints corner Marshawn Lattimore did not bite on the pump fake, did not bite on the screen underneath. And so Matt Ryan didn't pull the trigger on that throw to Ridley down the field. And that momentary hesitation led to Marcus Davenport to close and you know, he was initially chipped by tight end Jaden Graham on that play. And then Jake Matthews did a poor job trying to adjust to Davenport in space. Whiffed on the block. Davenport just basically closed and, and got the sack. You could say this was a coverage sack. You could say this was poor blocking. The fifth sack came early in the fourth quarter where Matt Wine winds up. He's about to pull the trigger on a quick out to Jaden Graham. It's wide open in the flat, but he does, he hesitates, and that gives Cameron Jordan enough time to slip inside Caleb McGarry's block for an easy sack. I think, again, this was mostly on Matt Ryan. You can certainly blame McGarry. He should have held up a little bit longer, but certainly the throw was there. Matt Ryan didn't pull the trigger on that. The sixth sack came a couple of series later after the Falcons' initial onside recovery. They had Russell Gage as the primary read settling over the middle. Matt Ryan has a potential window to throw, but that window closes a little too quickly, largely due to Devontae Freeman failing to pick up his blitz on Saints linebacker Craig Robertson. You know, I think that was a play where maybe right guard Jamon Brown could have given Freeman a little bit more help on that play to initially slow up Robertson, but ultimately this was a sack allowed by Devontae Freeman with poor blitz pickup. The seventh sack came on the very next series after the Falcons' second onside recovery, and this was a simple one where Caleb McGarry just got beat by a simple slap-chop move from Cameron Jordan. Matt Ryan did not have enough time in the pocket to even find an open receiver. That's poor blocking on Caleb McGarry. The eighth sack came three plays later. Russell Gage is the primary read. He stumbles a little bit on his out and up. It doesn't really matter that Gage doesn't get open because the pocket collapses way too early. Trey Henderson's bull rushing Jake Matthews. Brian Hill fails to pick up the blitz from Demorio Davis. Matt Ryan is able to successfully avoid both guys, but buying more time in the pocket that allows Sheldon Rankins enough time to get around Jamon Brown, get the sack there again, poor blocking on, on all three guys, Brian Hill, Jake Matthews and Jamon Brown's part on that particular play. And then the final sack came just three plays later on the final play of the game for the Falcons. This was Caleb McGarry again, getting beat with a simple chop move from Cameron Jordan. Easy sack ends the game. You also saw Brian Hill whiff on his blitz pickup on Demario Davis on that play as well. Again, the offensive line is to blame for that particular, particular play. And so when you look at the sort of overall thing, I would probably say three of the sacks were a little bit more on Matt Ryan than anything else. One sack was on coverage, although that was again, really more of a poor route by the wide receiver. And then five were legitimately on the blocking. Some of the early sacks were more on Ryan and some of the later sacks were just simply the blocking the running backs and particularly Caleb Gary, not being able to pick up uh, their assignments on those particular plays. So there's your breakdown of all nine of the Falcon sacks allowed against the New Orleans Saints. Later on on today's episode, we'll talk a little bit more about the impact of the Falcons pass rush or lack thereof on this game, as well as getting a little bit more into some of Matt Ryan's issues in this particular game and sort of what that says about Matt Ryan. But before we get there, I know Matt Ryan might want to get away a little bit after that performance. 
But away travel creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world for $20 off a suitcase. Visit away travel.com slash locked on and use the promo code locked on during checkout. If you're listening on the go and you can't get to away travel.com right now, you can find this and all other offers from locked on sponsors at locked on podcast.com slash offers. So, you know, I want to put a button on the Matt Ryan conversation. I, again, I, I don't think, it was a great performance from Matt Ryan. I certainly think there are reasons for why he had a relatively poor performance. And he's had many of those in my humble opinion this season. You know, I, I think the difference between myself and others is I look at them as there are certainly reasons for why Matt Ryan is not playing as well as he has done in some recent seasons. I think others tend to look at them as excuses. And what I mean by that is they simply say, you know, they kind of absolve Matt Ryan of any blame for these issues for these reasons. And, you know, I think some of those reasons are obvious, particularly in this game, you know, against the Saints. You're looking at poor blocking. You're looking at a lack of trust, a lack of rapport with his receivers. There were many times that his receivers let him down in this game. Um, you know, I've mentioned on earlier episodes, there were times where guys struggled to beat press coverage in addition to some of the not so great routes that guys ran in this game on some of the sacks I highlighted earlier on the episode. You also had Calvin Ridley bracketed for large portions of the game. And again, I've talked about this before, but this is one of the reasons why I do think wide receiver and tight end is a need for the Falcons. It may not be as big a priority as maybe some other areas of the roster, which we'll probably get to a little bit later on today's episode. But it is one of those things where, you know, the nature of how this is affected is like you're, you're essentially whether it's Julio Jones drawing the double teams, you're getting one-on-ones Calvin Ridley, Austin Hooper are taking advantage of those. And in this game, you have Calvin Ridley drawing those double teams in that bracket coverage. And unfortunately I don't think Christian Blake and Russell Gage did a great job taking advantage. They, they made some plays in this game. I don't want to sit here and act like they were terrible by any means, but it was one of those things where that's why having another option in the, in the passing game, that's why having a reliable backup in Austin Hooper behind Austin Hooper. I'm sorry. And I think Jane Graham's done some positive things, made a, a couple of nice plays in this game. Um, and in previous games replacing Hooper. But this is why you need more upgrades because you clearly saw Matt Ryan struggling in this game and you don't want to have that situation happen down the road in the future. And so I, I still think wide receiver tight end are still needs for this team to upgrade, still areas of concern for this team, but obviously they're not as big a priority. Obviously one of the big issues on this team is their pass rush and rewatching the film from this game. It stood out to me. Um, in particular that when the Falcons were able to get pressure on Drew Brees in this game, it seemed to be effective in getting stops for this defense. And when they weren't able to get pressure on Drew Brees, it was not very effective. Based off of my film study, I counted the Falcons generating pressure on Brees on seven of his 30 dropbacks and one on Taysom Hill's throw on that reverse pass on those eight plays. You want to know what the Saints success rate was? It was 25%. Do you want to know what their success rate was on the other 23 passes where they, the Falcons didn't get significant pressure? It was 57%. So you saw basically the, the Saints offense be half as effective 
when the Falcons were able to generate pressure on Drew Brees. When you looked at Drew Brees' passer rating on the plays where he got pressure, on those seven plays, it was 66.4. When you looked at his passer rating on those other 23 plays, it was 95.6. So clearly the pass rush matters. That's been very clear since the bye week where those two wins against the Panthers and Saints earlier, in my opinion, were in large part due to the pass rush. You know, and, and this creates some strong feelings and strong opinions among some people within our fan base that, you know, particularly when you look ahead to the 2020 draft, why it's important for the Falcons to draft a pass rusher. And I'm of a similar mind. I do think pass rusher is the team's overwhelmingly the team's biggest need. The difference is that I am not of the mindset that they have to draft a pass rusher. It's the end all be all of their off season, of their draft, of their future. I think, again, that's a little bit dramatic here because I think a lot of that is I am not of the mindset that the Falcons are uh, going to have a quick fix here. And I think that's been part of the issue I, I have with some of this talk about the pass rusher. It's not to get, again, it, I do think the Falcons should definitely take a pass rusher with their top pick. If so, if someone is so worthy of that draft pick, but I am open to other possibilities and I don't sit here and think that the only way that the Falcons can have a good pass rush in the future is if they use their number one pick on a pass rusher this year. We've seen the Falcons use number one picks on pass rushers in the past and it didn't necessarily lead to, you know, them being able to solidify their pass rush. So there are no so sort of uh, guarantees when it comes to the draft because we know it is a, it's a crapshoot. So, I'm of the mindset of like, just take the best defensive player available. And if that happens to be a pass rusher, then certainly take that. If if it's someone else, if you clearly think there is somebody else available that is better than whoever the top pass rusher is at that point in the draft and take the better player. That's my personal opinion. So, you know, that's where I sort of stand on the pass rush, but I, I do certainly think clearly when this defense is working, it is in large part due to the pass rush being effective and as I've said in, in the past, that has largely been spearheaded by the likes of players like Grady Jarrett and Adrian Claiborne more often than not. And unfortunately, that has not been spearheaded by the Vic Beasley's and the Tack McKinley's this season as much as many of us had hoped going into the season. And, and that certainly has led to people questioning those two players in particular. And, you know, I can't deny that those questions are more than fair. Uh, we'll certainly continue to talk about those guys in the coming weeks and months, uh, as you know, one of those guys is very likely to be moving on, uh, here in Atlanta and the other guy will be retaining and sort of, how do we quote unquote, save that guy? I'm sure you can guess who I'm talking about, but I will be, uh, vague with who I'm referring to exactly because, you know, reasons. Uh, so we will wrap up today's episode by talking a little bit more about the Falcons salary cap situation, um, where those two particular pass rushes, I don't think will have much of an impact on that, but someone asked a question about that and we'll get into that in just a moment. But I do want to plug the NBA side of the lockdown podcast network, where you can find a daily podcast devoted to all 30 NBA teams, including the Atlanta Hawks. Check out the lockdown Hawks podcast hosted by Brad Rowland on your favorite podcast platform, including Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Between the football season, NBA, and the start of college basketball, it's time to get off the couch and get in on the action with my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, you should try a parlay. Parlays are perfect because you can bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. 
So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win than they do. If you join right now, mybookie will match your deposit halfway up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra thousand in free money to play with. Just use the promo code locked on to activate that offer. Once again, that's promo code locked on to take advantage of MyBookie's very generous sign up offer. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. So, our question uh, comes from CD3224 on Twitter. He asks, Is there any possibility? Any is well, I'm sorry, I can't read. Is there any possible way the Falcons can free up any cap to sign Hooper to a long term deal and maybe even a starting caliber defensive end? Well, you know, the answer to that, if you're asking, is there a way that they can do that now? You know, they can free up cap space, I guess. Is that's always possible, but you know. I don't know what starting caliber defensive end that you're expecting to be signed now in December, but I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're referring to March. Um, right now the Falcons do have enough cap space to potentially get a long-term deal done with Hooper right now. Um, you know, my estimation on what Hooper's going to cost them in terms of cap space next season is going to be about four or $5 million, you know, and that's not the same thing as saying that he's going to make four or $5 million a year. One of my pet peeves is that when I see a lot of people doing cap analysis, they often sort of say, oh, since player X is going to be making a contract around $8 million a year, he's going to count $8 million versus the cap. That's not how NFL contracts work. That's not how the salary cap works. And again, it's be too long for me to, to explain it here. We might get into that later this offseason. But basically, I don't think Hooper should cost more than $5 million in 2020 cap space. And I think the Falcons are currently about four and a half or, you know, give or take a couple hundred thousand there, four and a half million under the 2019 cap. So they could technically potentially get a deal done right now. But in terms of being able to free up that space come March, you know, and I think they'll certainly have enough space potentially to get a deal done with Hooper. I think they have plenty of options to create that space. As you're asking, you know, cutting Devontae Freeman would free up about three and a half million dollars in 2020 cap space after the season, Um, you know, and they could save a similar amount or potentially more if they restructured his deal. If they decide to keep Devontae Freeman, cutting Alan Bailey would free up about four and a half million. Ty Sambrella would free up about three point seven five million. Luke Stocker is two point six million. Matt Schaub is about two million. So those four guys alone would free up about thirteen million dollars. You throw in Freeman, it's north of about $16 million. So the Falcons are currently projected by like over the cap and other websites to be about 6 million over the 2020 cap. So if you were to basically just cut those five guys, you would be about 10 million below. Um, that's not really going to be enough to sign Hooper and then be active in free agency, particularly going out and getting that starting caliber defensive in. So what you're going to need to see the Falcons do is restructure some contracts in addition to making some cuts. And besides Freeman, the three main ones that you, I would probably look at as potentials to be restructured are the contracts of Matt Ryan, Desmond Trufant and Alex Mack. I believe the rules where you, you have to wait a year to restructure a guy's contract. If they've, signed a new deal or um, had a previous restructure prohibits the Falcons from being able to touch Julio Jones's contract, Jake Matthews contract, Ricardo Allen's contract, Grady Jarrett's contract and Deion Jones's contract until the summer, August, September, that timeline. So 
in an ideal world is that the Falcons won't have to touch many of those deals come August, September before the season starts. And then that will allow them to be able to restructure those deals at the beginning of next, the following off season, 2021 in February or March. And that will allow them the flexibility to create additional cap space come 2021 if they need to do so. But obviously that's a bridge we'll cross when we get to it. So when it comes to restructure, the simple restructures that teams often do and the Falcons did this a couple of times last year, particularly with Matt Ryan's deal is what they'll do is they'll take a player's base salary. And what they'll do is they'll turn that money into signing bonus. And that way the player is not taking a pay cut. He's not going to get a dime less than what he was already going to get. But what it does do is it creates salary cap space because signing bonus is treat base salary hits in one year. Signing bonus is spread out throughout the life of a contract. So if a guy has three years left on his contract, you take that money, you spread it out over three years, that extra signing bonus money. So with Matt Ryan's contract, if they did a simple restructure like that, the sort of the maximum that they could do in order of creating 2020 cap space, they could create north of $14 million in salary cap. If they did the same thing with Desmond Trufant, it would be about $6 million in salary cap. Now, you can't quite do that with Alex Mack's contract because 2020, next season, is the final year of his contract. But you could wind up tweaking his contract by giving him a contract extension, which could potentially lower his cap hit in 2020. A cool cheat of way teams do that is by adding voidable years onto the back end of the deal. This is basically what the Patriots did with Tom Brady this past summer. So, you know, how much you could save with max deal varies depends on how that extension would be structured, but a quick and dirty one would be to basically give Mac like a two year extension with those two years being voidable years. And you take max 8 million base salary in 2020, you lower that to $2 million, which then, you know, the difference being that $6 million, you turn that into signing bonus that gets spread out over three years. Again, thanks to the two additional voidable years and the Falcons would essentially save about $4 million in salary cap space in 2020. You could also save, about $8 million in cap space. If you cut Alex Mack outright, which as I've said before, I don't think happens unless Mack decides to retire, but you could cut the five guys I mentioned before, Freeman, Sambrello, Bailey, Stocker, and Schaub, and then restructure Mack restructure or restructure Ryan restructure true and extend Mack. And that all adds up to about $41 million, a little bit north of $41 million in terms of cap space that you create next season. So if the Falcons are six, $6 million over, that would mean that after they did all those deals, the Falcons would be about $35 million under the salary cap. And then if you, again, if you assume that Hooper eats up about $5 million of that, you would have about $30 million to then spend on other free agents, which would be more than enough to go out there and get a starting caliber or defensive end to be able to afford potentially a Jadavion Clowney or Yannick Ngakwe should those guys be available right now. I'm expecting both of those guys to get franchise tagged, but we'll have to sort of see, you know, and, and these moves don't factor in cutting a guy like Carpenter, which I think saves about a $1 million and you could potentially trade other guys like Jamon Brown and, and others where you could then create cap space in addition to that $41 million that I'm just outlined for you guys. So it, it just goes back to show you the thing I've said many, many times on this podcast, the salary cap is a speed bump and the Falcons cap situation is not as dire as maybe some people might want to have you believe. So the question is, 
you know, and I've outlined pretty basic ways that the Falcons could create, you know, upwards of $40 million in salary cap space, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee that they'll actually do it. So the question is, will they actually do it? In this case, the Falcons are kind of their own worst enemy. The new regime might just decide, Hey, we only need about $20 million to do the things that we plan on doing in the off season, you know, signing the free agents that we want to sign and, you know, sign the rookies, uh, eventually at whenever we get that opportunity. And, you know, obviously I, I'm not a fan of that choice. That's a decision, but I'm not a fan of that decision. And, you know, what can I say? I'll just have to be butthurt on a podcast talking about it come March or, or April, whenever, if, if, and when they decide to make that choice, but really it's really up to the Falcons. That's what I mean. When I say the, the salary cap is a speed bump, it's like, you can, you can take that speed bump, as fast as you want to. Now, if you take it too fast, you might, you know, you might ruin the suspension on your car, but you know, you can, you can play with it. There's no rules that say you have to take a speed bump at five miles per hour versus taking it at 10 miles per hour. You know what I'm saying? Or a speed hump, not necessarily a speed bump, not one of those things in the parking lot. I don't, I wouldn't want to run over those, that thing at 15 miles per hour. But anyway, you, you get what I'm saying. It's not a great analogy, but you, you understand what I'm sitting here saying. Like it, you kind of control how fast you want to go when it comes to the salary cap and, and, and speed bumps and whatnot. So that's how you got to got to think about it. So I think, I hope that answers your question, CD. You know, I think the Falcons are in a good position to be active, proactive in free agency. I don't know if they're going to go out there and spend gobs and gobs of money on the Jadavion Clowners or the Yannick Ngakwe type of players. But, um, you know, let me look at sort of the list, the running list I have of free agents, maybe some guys that are going to be in their price range. Um, you know, I think Shaq Barrett's probably priced himself out of their range. You know, Dante Fowler doesn't, didn't come cheap when he resigned with the Rams this past off season. Yeah, I mean, it's Whitney Merciless might be relatively cheap. Robert Quinn might be relatively cheap. Matt Judon is not going to be cheap. Ziggy Ansah might be relatively cheap. Again, relatively cheap when we're talking about defensive ends is like we don't have to pay $15 million a year for them. We only have to pay like $8 million a year for them. That, that's basically where I'm at. So we'll have to sort of see, you know, you got other guys like Eric Armstead and Ronald Blair and Jordan Jenkins, Noah Spence, Shaq Lawson, Emmanuel Ogba, Mario Addison, Carl Nassib, uh, Cassius Marsh, Pernell McPhee, uh, Bruce Irvin, Benson Mayoa, Vic Beasley, Jason Pierre, Paul. Those are some of the edge rushers available. And then looking at, you know, some of the D tackles, you got DJ reader, Chris Jones, Probably going to get tagged. Gerald McCoy, Michael Brockers, Vernon Butler, um, Javon Hargrave, Tyler Davison, Al Woods, Malik Collins, Andrew Billings. I'm just going down the list. Michael Pierce, Danny Shelton, uh, Bo Allen, Jerron Reed, Jordan Phillips, David Onyemata, Christian Covington, Derek Wolf, Ashawn Robinson, Mike Daniels, Jihad Ward, Dominican Sue, um, Timmy Jernigan, Adam Gatsis, Rodney Gunter, Hassan Ridgeway. Yeah, but uh, those are some of the guys that potentially will be available that the Falcons can, you know, look to sign in free agency. Um, there are at least some of the, the better names out there if the Falcons want to make some mild splashes. And, and that's even before we get into the cap cuts where you have guys like Ryan Kerrigan, Marcel Darius, Everson Griffin, Tyrone Crawford, Don Terry Poe, Michael Bennett, Tyson Alulu as guys that are sort of 
possible cap cuts at the end of the season and, and veteran players that could additionally become available as well. In addition to all those free agents I just named. And, you know, if they can, they can certainly get some guys that I think will certainly be in that six to $10 million range. They should be able to afford that. If they do all the things that I just talked about, whether they can get into the price range of getting some guys that are going to cost them, you know, 12, 14, 15, 18, $20 million, which is the going rate for, you know, a high level pass rusher. The, the Chris Joneses and the Yannick and Gakwe's are going to be making close to $20 million a year. Uh, in my opinion, after they get their deals done, whether that's after a, playing on the franchise tag for a year or, you know, next uh, off season, we'll have to sort of see, but I do think there will be some sort of second and slash third tier guys. And I think really right now, the Falcons, again, as I've said on a previous episode, they just kind of need bodies, right? You're not going to basically completely revamp this pass rush overnight. I know people want to believe that the Falcons can go out and basically go out and get the four horsemen of the apocalypse or the three horsemen of the apocalypse or the two horsemen of the apocalypse, depending on how you feel about Tack McKinley to join Tack and, and Grady Jarrett. And again, it won't sit here and say that that's impossible uh, if the Falcons are smart with their money, but it is one of those things where I don't think it's likely. So we'll just have to sort of see, we'll see who makes it to the market we'll see what scheme the Falcons bring in and, and sort of which guys fit the scheme. Um, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of moving parts at this point in time. So, you know, just be patient and we'll just sort of see how it comes. And I'm sure we'll have plenty to cheer and or complain about when we get to March, uh, when all is said and done. So yeah, there you guys have it. We'll be back tomorrow with a fan talk. My hope is that we'll be able to have fan talks for the next four weeks going into the end of the season. Um, you know, some people need to email me back. You know, I know I was a little slow on some of those emails, but go ahead and email me back guys so that you can, um, get those fan talks in. And for those of you that haven't sent an email and you want to be a, take part in a future fan talk, you can do so by sending an email to locked on Falcons at mail.com. You can also do what CD did and submit your questions via that email address or via Twitter as CD did uh, at locked on Falcons or via Facebook at locked on Falcons as well there. So there you have it guys until then you are locked on Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the locked on podcast network, your team, Every day.